Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, today we conclude our series, Making the Most of Your Salvation, with a message entitled, Knowing Your Assurance. So turning your Bibles to John chapter 6, verses 35 to 40, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. Several years ago, I was studying at Trinity in Chicago, and it was Saturday, and I and a fellow student decided that we would take transit, and we'd make our way to historic Wrigley Field and catch a Chicago Cubs baseball game. You know, we approached the gate, and we noticed a very long lineup of all the people wanting to buy tickets, and I was contemplating how long that would take, and, you know, would there be enough tickets in the end, and whether or not I'd miss the beginning of the game and all that stuff. And a man approached me with two tickets, and he said, I've got two tickets that are even with first base, less than what you pay at the gate. You want them. And I bought them without hesitating. And my friend immediately said, how do you know that those tickets are real? And I got to admit, I hadn't contemplated that in my joy of getting the tickets and of getting them at a better price. I had not asked any of those questions. And I remember thinking, I wonder if these tickets are going to get me in. And it was with more than a little curiosity that we made our way to the gate and he handed our tickets to the gatekeeper and he scans them and well, we were let through. I remember thinking, wow, I'm so glad that turned out well. Well, I think there are a great many people who think that way about their own salvation. They've got a ticket in hand and that ticket is called their conversion experience and they're just not completely sure it will get them in when they get to the front gate. I mean, they hope it will, but there's a niggling doubt that remains. I mean, what if I don't make it? So today I'm ending my two-week series entitled Making the Most of Your Salvation, and I want to end by speaking of that most important gift of assurance. And would you join me in reading John 6, 35 to 40? Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now, you should have noticed that Jesus begins with a claim, and then on the basis of that claim, he offers an invitation. His claim's simple. He's the bread of life. You know, on the previous day, he had miraculously fed a crowd of 5,000 with five barley loaves and two fish, and the crowd was amazed and compared him to Moses, who had miraculously provided manna every day for 40 years in the wilderness so that Israel could survive. And so Jesus identified himself not with Moses, interestingly, but with the manna as the true bread that came down from heaven. Just like in the desert, if you were going to survive there, you'd have to eat manna. So Jesus is saying, if you're going to survive eternally, you're going to have to eat of me. He's the only way to salvation, and he's making an offer. Whoever comes to me will not hunger. Come and eat. And yet, as he was saying this, the crowd that had witnessed the miracle that he did, some just didn't believe. They didn't think that he could deliver on that promise. And so notice verse 37, only those who are given to Jesus by the Father are going to come. The rest will reject him. And then Jesus adds something. 
he declares in verse 38 that he has come to perfectly do the will of his Father. And then in verse 39, he argues that it is the Father's will that he, Jesus, will lose none of those whom the Father has given him. So from that passage, we learn something regarding assurance of salvation. Jesus said he will eternally keep those whom the Father gave him. Or let's put it in the form of a question. Is it possible to become saved or born again and then to lose your salvation? So please notice that all sorts of Christians have debated and disagreed on that question. And when we can't settle this question, we end up with constant insecurity. You know, I may be saved now, but I don't know I'm going to make it. Will my ticket get me through the gate at the important time? I mean, I've often been asked, do you believe in the proposition once saved, always saved? So here's my answer. Yes, I do. I believe that because Jesus said that the Father drew us to him and that he would never lose us. Or put it another way, if it were a question of whether I could walk away from Christ and stop believing, I I suppose I'd say, yeah, I could. But that's not the real question. The real question, is it possible for Jesus to lose those whom he's determined not to lose? Here's the answer. No, no, it's not. I may fail, but Jesus won't. See, that's an assurance. In fact, that's reinforced both in Jesus and in the rest of the New Testament. John 10, 27 to 28, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish and no one will be able to snatch them out of my hand. Now, I know there are some who's going to say, well, yeah, it's true that no one can snatch us from Christ's hand, but we can still walk away on our own accord. But when we say this, we do injustice to what Jesus has just said. When he says no one, he means no one, not even ourselves. You see, after all, Jesus said he gives us eternal life. And if the life he gives is truly eternal, then it's got to be eternal. It goes on without end. If it can end, and if it does end, it's not eternal. Jesus said exactly the same thing in John 3, 36. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. Eternal means eternal. It's the kind of life that doesn't end. If it could end, it, of course, wouldn't be eternal. And if you are given eternal life, it's salvation that goes on unendingly, starting the moment you believe. No one but no one can snatch you from Christ. Now to Ephesians 2, 13 to 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Now, the Greek word of guarantee, that's a legal word. It means first a payment or a first installment. See, when you buy a house on credit, you make a first down payment that obligates you to continue to pay until the entire debt is paid. See, in the same way, when the Holy Spirit has been given to you, God the Father says, that's my down payment. With it comes my promise that I will pay out the full extent of your eternal salvation. Now, to say we lose our salvation is to say that even while the Holy Spirit has been given as a guarantee, it's really actually not worth the paper it's written on. Well, such talk belies the intent of Scripture and calls God untrustworthy that he's unable to keep his commitments. So then, here's good news. If you've been saved, you've been eternally saved, and nothing can take you from the Father's hand. Now, someone is going to say, so keep listening, someone's going to say, yeah, but aren't there passages that seem to say the opposite? For instance, 
Matthew 10:22 says, "And you shall be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved." See, that implies that some will not endure to the end, and then by implication, they won't be saved either. Colossians 1, 21 to 23, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed, listen to that, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. So here we can see that our being presented before God and receiving our eternal reward, that depends upon our continuing to be faithful. So the implication is plain. Those who don't continue on in the faith, they're not saved in the end. Their ticket is not going to get them through. Well, you might want to consider also Hebrews chapter 3, verse 14. For we share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Now, if we're going to be faithful to the whole Bible, meaning we believe everything it says on this matter, look, we've got to come to conclusion that we take all the data into account. We can't deny Revelation 2.10 that we must be faithful to the end to be saved. The Bible clearly teaches in Hebrews 6, Hebrews 10, that if we deliberately keep on sinning, no sacrifice for sins is left, only a raging expectation of judgment. So do I really believe in once saved, always saved? Well, yes, I do. But here's what I don't believe. I don't believe that if someone prays the sinner's prayer and appears at that moment to be sincere and then invites Jesus into their hearts and lives and then goes on to live in a way that's deliberately sinful, and they don't continue to follow Jesus, that person doesn't have the ticket that gets them through the door. We need to stop lying to ourselves and others about this. Only the one who's faithful to the end is going to be saved. Now, of course, there's still time while life lasts for that person to repent, but but that's what we need to pray for those loved ones who have abandoned Jesus. Pray that God would have mercy on them because as they are now, they're not saved. But Jesus still said that he would lose none that the Father has given him. And so we need to put all of this together. And we need to do it in such a way that will give us security that the life that we have received is eternal. Are you a visual learner? Did you know that Back the Bible Canada has a weekly video series? All videos, past and current, are easily accessible on the Back to the Bible Canada YouTube channel or online at backtothebible.ca. Our Bible teaching videos cover a wide variety of biblical topics, giving you access to insights that provide you with a deeper understanding of the God of the Bible and the life He calls you to live. Check out this week's video Bible teaching program featuring Dr. John Newfeld. And be sure to never miss an episode, so subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more information or to support the ongoing ministries of Back to the Bible Canada, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or donate securely online at backtothebible.ca. There's a biblical way of looking at the statement, once saved, always saved. It's to say that those who are genuinely saved continue to persevere in their faith until the end. They will not fall away. 
no one will be able, no matter how they try, to pluck them from Christ's hand. Indeed, even if they go through a period of sinning, Christ will arrest them and bring them to their senses and bring them to genuine repentance. Indeed, the sign of genuine faith is it is the kind of faith that keeps going until the end. That's what the Bible teaches. But there's a warning. Do not be misled about your salvation. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. See, Jesus taught a parable of the four soils in which he said that some would appear to have been saved, but they're not. And when persecution or the cares of this world arise, they quickly fall away because the soil of their hearts into which the gospel was planted, well, that soil was defective from the very start. Ah, we say, well, if that's true, then how can any of us have assurance of salvation? See, if it's true that Jesus keeps all who are truly his, and that those who have been given eternal life, that is the genuine stuff, if those people endure to the end, well, how can I ever know until the end whether or not I have that kind of faith? Am I in the position of approaching the gate wondering if my ticket is genuine? I mean, what am I supposed to do? Well, look at 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. It says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless, indeed, you fail the test? Now, here's biblical counsel. Each of us should test whether we have the authentic thing or not. See, if you buy an art piece of of an original from one of the masters, I mean, before you pay a million dollars, I'll bet that you'll have it tested to see if it's genuine. In the same way, why should you go all the way until death without having tested your faith. But how do we do that? See, what kinds of tests were we talking about here? Well, let's look at the first test, which I call the test of faith. What's that test? It's simple. Ask yourself, do I have a present trust in Christ alone for my salvation? Notice I didn't ask you if you prayed the sinner's prayer 30 years ago. You know, I remember years ago, a prominent Christian woman being asked when she actually came to Christ. And she said, well, I don't know. See, and everyone was shocked, and then she explained. She said, I don't know exactly when the sun came up today. I just know that it's shining in the same way. I don't know exactly when it was I gave my life to Christ. I just know that he is my Savior and my Lord, and I fully and completely trust in him and in his cross for my salvation. See, John 3.16 says, whoever believes in him has eternal life. And the Greek grammar here is in the present tense. It's an ongoing present tense. It means whoever keeps believing. You see, some people have a testimony of what God did years ago, but there's no trusting in him today. Believing is a lifelong process, and it's a gift that comes from God. Primarily, we're talking here about believing that which is the heart of the gospel. Christ died for our sins. He was buried and rose from the dead. And practically, it comes down to this. If I were to die tonight and stand before God and he were to ask me, why should I let you into my kingdom? Then, without even the slightest hesitation, I would respond by saying, look, I'm depending on the merits of Christ. I'm confident that he is a sufficient savior and he's done all for me. Everything that follows flows from that one article, this one test of my faith. Here's the problem. Some of us may think that this is just an intellectual exercise. You know, do I have the right answer when asked at the gate of heaven? But true faith is life transforming. So then the rest of the tests are given to attempt to see if I have biblical faith. 
So the second test, it's a test of desire. That is, do I desire Christ? Is he my fountain of joy? You see, it's possible to believe all the facts and to even want to be forgiven and to believe in the cross, but never to love Christ. See, when Paul describes salvation in Philippians 3, which comes through faith alone, he then adds, Philippians 3.10, that I may know him. You know, because that is the end for which we believe. He longs for Christ. He wants to know him and participate in him to share in his sufferings, anything, anything, to be identified with him. I call that the test of desire. The third test is the test of inward witness. Romans 8, 16 says, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. In other words, there's a testimony that's been imprinted by the Holy Spirit. I know it's subjective, but it's true. Do you have an inner sense of the spirit living within, testifying, that you belong to the people of God and to him. Fourth test, test of fruit. Galatians 5, we're told of the desires of the flesh and the desires of the spirit. And if we live by the desires of the flesh, according to verse 21, we'll not inherit the kingdom of God. That is, if we live in known sin and become comfortable with sin and we seek to justify ourselves in our sin, we're not true believers. Let me be as explicit as I can. If you received the new heart at regeneration, your heart aches because of sin. You'll be convicted because of sin. You'll repent. Yeah, I know that for some of us, there will develop a repeated habitual sin, but we've got to fight it and we've got to kill it. That fight might not be won overnight. I I have loved what Jonathan Edwards once said on this matter. He said, it was the mark of a true believer that even though they fall into the same sin a hundred times, they will get up again a hundred and one times. That is, they'll never stop fighting that sin, even if that fight is long and protracted and painful. But for those of us who have never received the new nature, you're not going to fight. You're going to lie down in it. You're going to let sin rule your lives. You'll make excuses for sin. You'll say, yeah, sin's just too strong for me. I mean, what am I supposed to do? I'm just made this way. Or maybe you're going to be cavalier. You're going to say, Jesus died for me. It doesn't matter what I do. Or you might not even think about sin at all, but simply carry on in it without even a second thought. Or maybe you're going to languish in guilt. That happens too. But you're not going to use the means of grace available to you to fight that sin. In short, the life of Christ is a life that loves holiness and hates sin. It goes to war with sin. It doesn't look for a peace treaty with sin. No, no. It's going to fight sin to the death. Either sin's going to die or I'm going to die fighting it. I mean, show me a person who is not fighting to bring all things in subjection to Christ. I'm going to show you a person who's never been born again. If you're refusing to repent and refusing the power of the Spirit and you're not enduring, your ticket that you're holding in your hand is a fake. You're going to be turned down at the door. However, everyone who believes on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, those of a more sensitive nature might despair here, but you shouldn't. Your fight for holiness is a sign that you have truly believed. And Christ has made you a promise, and even more so, he's made his Father a promise. He told the Father, I won't lose him or her don't despair. And I could add even more tests. There's the test of love. 1 John 4.20, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Then there's the test of right belief. 
1 John 4, 2 and 3, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. You know, I could go on to say about false beliefs, which will lead us to damnation, but let's end this way. If a change was brought in your heart so that now you find that you have a love for God above all other things and that you trust wholeheartedly in Christ and in Christ alone for your salvation. You're not banking your bet somewhere else. Do you see how profound that change has been that brought life to you? You've been born of God. Nothing can pluck you out of the Father's hand. The way ahead may seem bright or it may seem dark and foreboding, but do not fear. Christ, your Savior, has given you the most precious thing you could ever have, eternal life. The Holy Spirit lives in you. You're marked by God. You are eternally his. It doesn't matter what you face. Just keep your heart fully attuned to the grace of God. Resist sin. Fight it with all your heart. You're going to win. Remain obedient to his commands. Jesus overcame the world, and so will you. In just a little while now, you'll be with your Savior. Let me add this. If you've been fooling yourself and you have a form of faith but no godliness— If you continue to live in sin, listen, listen, listen. There is still grace for you. This is the day to come to Christ and say, have mercy on me, a sinner. Or as the old hymn said so well, Jesus, hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. Have mercy on me, save me from my sins. If you trust in him, he will save you. Thanks, John. A wonderful series, but I want to conclude with an important question. Assurance of our salvation for some, it seems a given. They just take it for granted. For for others, though, they walk in fear, always questioning, where should we stand? In neither of those places. You know, I mean, of course, we, we should be absolutely assured, but if we're living in sin and in open rebellion against God and we're not repenting, Uh, we shouldn't have a lot of assurance. That's just a fact. Um, You know, but on the other hand, if you're struggling to overcome sin and you're doing all that you can and you haven't yet learned uh, by the Holy Spirit to put to death the misdeeds of the flesh, but uh, you're coming to God regularly and confessing your sins and you're waiting for power, take heart, believer. Uh, God is not finished with you yet. So, I mean, it's it's sometimes a tightrope, but at the same time, there's every reason to be assured. Thanks, John, and thanks for a wonderful series. And remember to join us again next week right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. Offering Bible teaching resources that provide relevant biblical truth is at the core of the mission and ministry of Back to the Bible Canada. Well, this month, we're giving away Dr. John Newfeld's new book, Making the Most of Your Salvation. You know, many Christians don't embrace all that is provided for them in Christ. Benefits such as our adoption, the Holy Spirit, and what so many struggle with, the assurance of our salvation. Dr. John's book presents 10 of the incredible benefits that come by way of our salvation for each of God's people. So make the point of calling and asking for your free copy today. These are biblical truths that need to be understood. 
Call today at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca to request your free copy of Making the Most of Your Salvation. And please, continue to stand with us in 2021.